0: Brewery DB and Good Beer Matters have partnered to share the stories of craft and culture found in every glass. Brewery DB is the largest curated source of brewery knowledge and serves to connect craft beer lovers like yourself to your next brewery experience. Expand your knowledge on thousands of brews and create personalized brewery routes in your own neighborhood and nationwide. Join the waitlist on brewerydb.com today and be the first to know when new features go live check out the newest beta version of brewery db and get a taste for what's to come my name is jeremy and this is good beer matters
1: right now the united states is the leading producer of hops in the world you know, it's, it's hard to really describe how profoundly the revitalization of the craft brewing industry has transformed the U.S. hop industry. If craft beer uses about 5.6 times more hops, that's where the number's coming from. Like, I mean, that is, that is an extraordinary push.
0: We love good beer and often take it for granted, but there's something we should know. The growing, cultivation, and distribution of hops is more challenging, impactful, and more dangerous than we might think. My next guest explains the larger world of hops so we can better appreciate what's in our glass. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe. And one thing is certain the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 97 of Good Beer Matters with Science and Communications Director of the Washington Hop Commission, Maggie Elliott. Um, I am excited about this next podcast because we're really diving further into the ingredient series and in this one we're going to dive into hops. Um, Maggie, thank you so much for coming, in to, uh, coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast. I'm really looking forward to learning more about your world and what it is you have to share with us today.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Um, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and particularly the story about how you ended up in uh, in the beer industry and in particular hops.
1: Absolutely. So, yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Maggie Elliott. I'm the science communications director for Hop Growers of America. I'm a native of the Yakima Valley. I grew up in a town called Prosser, Washington, um, in the Yakima Valley, and grew up in an agricultural community and really wanted to be able to link the science of agriculture with different communications expertise. So I first went to the University of Idaho and studied agricultural science communications and leadership, and then I went to Texas Tech University and studied agricultural communications. I really identify as a science communicator and I'm excited to help promote all the research that's done in the hop industry to help growers in an area that I call my home really thrive um, and to help to support the advancement of a really integral in industry uh, to Washington State and to the Pacific Northwest. Um, and so, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Um, so you uh, you studied agricultural communications. That seems like a very, very tight and particular niche. Um, what what does someone with your education training uh, do and what can you do?
1: Absolutely. It's a very broad field, just as communications is. I really um, honed my interest in science writing, and so a lot of uh, my colleagues work for different commodity organizations, doing communications work, or uh, doing informal teaching of some sort, or <clears throat> you know uh, write extension publications, or you know do journalism, do graphic design work. It's it's everything that a normal communications degree would grant you, just very specific to agriculture. So I was able to study the science inherent to, you know, the biological science inherent to agriculture and some of the issues revolving around the science um, behind uh, advancing agriculture today.
0: So basically, as someone who can write and teach and talk and communicate about anything, you've focused on this particular niche of agriculture so that you can uh, walk your talk is kind of my yep. how I kind of summarize that, right?
1: I agree. Yep.
0: Yep. Okay, perfect. Um, Well, then that's perfect because I've got some basic questions for you before we kind of dive into some more uh, advanced and interesting questions. But I kind of want to tap our foot on the base because I know know that there are people who will eventually get into the beer industry, who will uh, start working with beer, start enjoying beer. But... but they're always backfilling and, and there are, you know, I, I take this for granted now with all the stuff that I've done. But, you know, we kind of need to go back and deconstruct how beer is made and, and the ingredients that go into it. And, and so you're going to talk about hops today. So let's start with the basic uh, teed up question. What is a hop?
1: Wonderful question. Um, many of your viewers, um, you know, hops are only grown in very particular areas. of the hops in the United States are grown in the three Pacific Northwest states of Washington, Idaho, and Oregon. Uh, And so it's a hard crop to grow. It's a finicky crop to grow. I'll talk a little bit about that. But at its core, the hop plant is a perennial climbing plant that each year produces an annual, what we call a vine, which is essentially a vine. Um, It's a crown plant. It's a cousin to the hemp family. Um, And the hop is this, this leafy plant that every year um, is is similar to a vineyard is um, is strung up on an 18 foot trellis. It climbs up all summer long, and as the summer goes on, it it makes this, these huge leafy adornment um, vines um, that are laden with these hop cones. And the hops um, hops are really the only um, you know hops are the only additive of its kind to beer and there's no substitute for hops. Hops have a very specific resin profile that's not found anywhere else in nature and that's what makes them so unique and special. And the hops every year, they grow up that vine and then at harvest each year, um, the producers chop the vine down and then run it through equipment to extract the cones from it and then kiln the cones and then pelletize the cones um to to make the pellets into what many of our brewers use so that's generally what the hop plant is something interesting about hops that that i think is just really fascinating is that you know worldwide we all know or we might know that the hop industry is an incredibly volatile industry and the reason why is because really 80 percent of the hops in the world are grown in two countries and that's the united states and germany And uh, it's because the hop is is a difficult plant to grow. It's very particular. It needs a long summer day. Um, Hops, uh, for the most part, yield best when they hug about the 45th parallel. Um, Latitude makes a really big difference. And although they need a long summer day so that they can climb as much as possible to get length so that they have as much cones and and have a high yield, um, they also can't sustain a really deep freeze so it needs to be an area where it, it, it need, they need to be grown in an area where um, they, they can grow and get summer daylight, but they do not freeze. Um, so that's very particular. They need deep, well-drained soil, um, and they also need plenty of irrigation. Uh, but the, the other part is that they are highly susceptible to mold and mildew and fungus, which makes them very difficult to grow in humid areas. Um, and so the best yielding crops are grown in very arid climates, Um, which makes many areas of the Pacific, of the Eastern pieces of the Pacific Northwest, uh, very, very um, ideal growing locations for hops.
0: Well, and the, the fun stuff about this is when I lived in Oregon, I lived in central Oregon, just outside of Bend. And so that was technically the high desert. And that was probably like the 44th parallel. Um, and mm-hmm. we'll dive into that a little bit more in just a second. Um, and I grew hops in my backyard because I'm a beer guy. That's what you do. Um, and they grew very, very well. As long as I watered the heck out of them, they were thirsty, <laughs> thirsty little buggers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny cause you, you can go online, you can watch these, uh, time-lapse videos and it's fascinating to watch because they'll send these um these shoots upward and under a time-lapse thing they're almost they're almost like those uh those like those vines you see in those like scary movies and the vines are reaching out really fast like jumanji or something they're reaching out to kind of grab you Yeah. They move around, but if you're looking down on top of them, they spin around in a clockwise fashion, just looking for something to grab onto so it can climb. These things are climbers, um, and, and they can climb onto almost anything. But it, it's kind of interesting to see, like, the the behavior of these things, Um uh, but you also said that they don't like uh, humidity, so you know they, you know, along the coast where it's just like always, always wet. Um, I don't see a lot of hops, but inland, uh, there that's where at least uh, around the turn of the century, before prohibition, kind of came and destroyed everything. Um, right around Independence, Oregon was like the hop center of the world, by my understanding, and that yep. was just like the perfect spot. Perhaps it was it had plenty of water, but it wasn't too humid, and it was just everything was just perfect. I mean, the right the, the right part in the world that was just everything was perfect, and so it's no um, no surprise that the Northwest is still a, a dominant force in the hop world. Yep.
1: Right. Yep. No, it is very interesting how that works. Um, I think that for the most part, in, in many ways, we see um, and we're just continuing to see these advances um even as in how how different technologies are enabling our producers to to demand better yields um the, you know precision irrigation being able to conserve water just precisely irrigate exactly where you need to um, and so you're not wasting any water um, but you're still able to produce um the most fruitful yield um there's really really intricate uh, advancements going on in the industry right now
0: yeah and that whole sustainable piece i definitely want to get to um uh, but i want to make sure i tap my foot on, uh, foot on the basis first um so you mentioned that they uh that they grow within a certain um latitude and and if i remember correctly please tell me if i'm if i got this wrong but any pretty much between the 30th and the 50th parallel both in the north and southern hemispheres is where hops just love to grow right That's true. Uh, So I've also heard of there are some um, hops that uh, like uh, like they're trying to grow down in um, in Texas that they're they're trying to find some hops that will grow further south. Uh, What is it about those latitudes that hops like um, and 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 how can we grow them in Hawaii or Texas or somewhere uh, different than than those than that little zone?
1: Absolutely. One of the really interesting parts about um, the physiology of a hot plant is that the way that it craves that summer day length. So the hot vine, you can can tell you you will yield like the the pace of the yield will go up um, just as much as the amount of sun exposure it gets during the summertime. Because the more sun it gets, the more energy the plant can get metabolized to grow up. Um, and so that 18 foot trellis that's about the peak that's about as best as it can get so all the growers want it want the hop vine to grow 18 feet high Um, and what's funny is that we say that we want it to reach the top wire the top we want them to grow 18 feet around the summer solstice because when the summer solstice hits then it triggers a physiological response to the plant that the plant starts dedicating its energy rather than growing up this is Finely little shoot that's rather than growing up, it starts to grow out and it starts to reproduce with the cones, and that's where we start to see those huge cone laden drapes that um, that you see in the hop fields. So <clears throat> in areas farther south with less with, with less sunlight, they um, the hop vines just do not grow as tall. They grow you know half as tall, a quarter as tall because they're not getting that summer daylight, and then they might fill out. Um, but they're just, they don't, they do not have as much of the, um, of the width and the size. You do not have as much cone density by any degree. And so what some breeders are doing in those Southern latitudes is they're trying to adapt varieties um, that are tolerant to less sun in the summertime. And that's going, that's, it's very difficult because, you know, hops are native to areas of the world. And, you know, it's, you know, there's a reason why we can't grow um, citrus in Washington State, very it's it's just it's very difficult, and so breeders are trying to figure out ways around it. But I think it will be it will be hard um, to try to um, kind of crack the physiology of the plant in that regard.
0: And, and I, I have spoken to some people in Hawaii, or uh, like outside of that perfect little zone of hops, mm-hmm. that uh, that they're 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 trying to crack that code or trick the plants into mm-hmm. changing that. And 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 you spoke about this. I, I kind of want to like summarize it real quick, but. Um, the hops start growing as the days get longer it's triggered by that lengthening daylight process and then in the northern hemisphere and toward the end of june when we hit our our peak and then the days start getting shorter from then on that triggers the plant to start flowering and creating the hop cones right yes basically yeah and so the and so there has been some talk about can we uh put them in you know because they are a first cousin to marijuana can we put them in a kind of like a tall growth situation and trick them into uh, a daylight changes when you are um, you know closer to the equator or you know out, outside of that perfect little zone. Has anyone really attempted that successfully yet today?
1: There are researchers at the University of Florida who are planting hops under uh, UV lights and they're trying to expose um, the plants to more sun in that way. And they have seen um, they have seen better yields and it does look promising. I will say though, that is an, that is an extraordinary cost of course um, to implement, but it does show promise for those who are who are very dedicated to wanting to grow southern latitude hops.
0: Well it seems like the the uh, what we need to do is prove that it works and then figure out how to make it efficient and co- cost effective and sustainable uh, but you know mm-hmm. first things first right.
1: <laughs> yep <laughs> that,
0: that'd be interesting. Do you guys keep track of that um, of that research on on your site?
1: We do I mean we we are we work in co- we correspond with researchers around the country in that regard.
0: Great. Um, uh, one of the other things I'm really curious about um, is uh, beside I mean we all know that you know hops go into beer and brewers use hops. Does anyone else use hops? besides brewers?
1: That's a great question. Um, and over like 99.5% of hops, of commercial hops are used for beer. There are very few other extraneous uses for hops.
0: What, what would some of those extraneous uses be, for example?
1: Right now, there's a growing market for um, sparkling hopped water or um, ho- trying to figure out ways to use hop oil Mm-hmm. It's the resins and the alpha and beta acids that are used um, primarily in brewing. Brewing. So hop oil is another side use um, that I've seen it put in hot sauces um, or just uh, in, in, in lotions and in different things, trying to figure out what the, what's another use for a byproduct of the hop plant.
0: And I, I have to say, from my experience, I've tried some of these hop waters. I've made my mm-hmm. own using hop oils, and I've even... Uh, put just a little bit of hop oil in cocktails, like a like a gin and tonic, for example. And I and and I think I think that is a, an unexplored um, area uh, a use for hop products. Um, I even love taking um, you know when I grew my own, I would take some of the the leaves off the cones and sprinkle them over a burger just to give them a little like a grassy bitterness, and that was that was delicious. There's there's more things we can do with hops besides just making or putting them in our beer. And so uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that research as well and I, I will keep you up mm-hmm. on on the research that I am conducting in my facility <laughs> okay. aka right. my house <laughs> right yeah. um, so uh, tell me more about the hop growers of America what is it uh, who what is it you guys do human beings have used the power of storytelling for millennia we use stories to educate motivate and inspire others to lead better lives if you're a business in the beer industry, we can use the power of story to better serve your customers. At Mountain Sea Media, I help you tell your story and keep your brand on top of mind. Mountain Sea Media is your resource for engaging multimedia beer content. Contact me at jeremy at to discuss your next project. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it.
1: Absolutely. Hop Growers of America is a nonprofit organization that represents all growers in the United States. Uh, We have three member organizations of Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, and then a Growers at Large, which comprises all the other growers around the United States. Every year we have an American Hop Convention in January um, where growers can convene and talk about and get up to speed on the latest updates and, and talk about their challenges and and growing issues and explore. There's an expo so they can explore new trends and um, just more technological development. Um, And we also uh, we also work on latest legislative issues um, on behalf of the hop industry.
0: So. uh so who are members? Or who does this serve? Is this just for hop growers or uh, hop companies? Is it for brewers? Is it for home brewers? Who who all uh, participates in this?
1: It is hop producers.
0: Just hop producers. Okay.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and so if I were a, uh, a over enthusiastic, not over enthusiastic, very enthusiastic home brewer <laughs> um, and beer nerd, then then um, this would not necessarily be the place for me to go uh, unless I were just a little quite quite enthusiastic fair i
1: mean if you're interested in learning all about ways to mitigate pest pressures and you know and things like that then i mean i I invite you to come but you know yeah our our this convention is really from the growers perspective of how we can help the growers um uh you know make be a more efficient producer
0: so so you uh you guys are uh doing that particular hard work so the rest of us don't have to, right?
1: <laughs> I, I, I
0: kinda described that that's I'm I'm kinda like a beer crash test dummy. I'm 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 learning all about beer so anyone listening doesn't really have to. Uh so mm-hmm. it sounds like we have a similar mission. Um uh so I'm gonna transition uh to a comment you made earlier. Um the, the dominant hop-growing, producing regions in the world are Germany and pretty much the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, as Germany, a uh, long time ago, uh, not that long ago, but I remember Germany was number one. Uh, Washington State was number two. Um, and there was some conversation about Washington uh, uh did a uh, more it was more prolific that they had bittering hops uh at at that time oregon was number uh two behind washington and there was more aromatic hops coming from that and recent uh um, information that i've seen is that idaho has uh, recently overtaken oregon as far as hop production is all that information still current or is there am i is, is there more information i need to take into account
1: Sure. So I can I can give you an update since we just um, we just went through this year's harvest and we have some new updates. So um, right now, the United States is the leading producer of hops in the world. Um, Germany's behind, Germany's about two percentage points behind. Right now, the U.S. produces about 40 percent of the world supply and Germany produces about 38 percent of the world supply uh, In inside the United States. Um, while the Pacific Northwest um, produces about 98% of the hops in the United States, Washington comprises about 73% of that. Um, Idaho comprises about 16% of that, and, I, and Oregon comprises about 11%.
0: Okay. Um, is, is, and so what other states that are, that are not the dominant Northwest as far as hops, but what other states are contributing to that overall uh, hop growth?
1: Sure. There are, there, I mean, there are hops grown, you know, um, in, in many states, I'd say that the top are Michigan, Wisconsin, Montana, and New York.
0: Okay. And so basically we're all looking at the Northern uh, corridor of the, of the mm-hmm. country, just because that is, that is just like the perfect zone for hops, right? You know, the the 45th to 50th parallels, right?
1: Yep. yep. Um.
0: Uh, and so I, I know you you are you represent Washington and American hop growers, but I'm going to ask you this question anyway. Sure. Um, so we know Germany uh, grows hops, we know England grows hops. Um, what other countries in the world are making a significant impact in the hop growing and 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 the you know flavor profiles and all all that stuff that we're that we're dealing with today?
1: Sure. So um, you know, there's still many countries in the European Union that still grow hops. Uh, I say the Czech Republic grows about five to seven percent of the world supply. Um, uh, England has cut down. England, I think, today grows about one percent of the world supply. But there are enterprising varieties coming out of New Zealand, um, and and then throughout, you know, Slovenia, um, Serbia just started up a new crop, um, and so there, you know, scattered throughout the European Union countries, and then uh, New Zealand, Argentina just started growing some hops. Um, and so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, how different countries adapt. And as you mentioned before, um, you know, it's, it's hard to really describe how profoundly the revitalization of the craft brewing industry has transformed the U.S. hop industry. Our acreage has doubled in 10 years. I mean, it's just, it's almost unfathomable. And you said that, you know, it used to be, which is true, the balance between aroma, uh, hops and alpha hops, um, is now, um, is now the opposite. While we, the United States used to really lead in that those bittering um, alpha hops, today the split is about 80% aroma hops and 20% alpha hops. Um, and that really is where the United States is leading the charge. Um, uh, Germany grows more bittering hops, um, more alpha hops. So really, the, the, the United States are the pioneer of more of the aroma varieties.
0: And as far as uh, the consumer demand, meaning, you know, brewers, um, what is driving that global uh, hop demand? Is it cost? Is it flavor? Is it uh, you know kind of something new and and you know fear of missing out or what's the, what's sure, the significant sure. thing?
1: So I I think it's it's believed to be that you know generally and of course it depends what type of beer you're brewing but generally craft beer uses about 5.6 times more hops than the traditional. Um, you know the, the, the mass-produced beers um, and so that is, a, that is a that is an extraordinary volume that the the hot producers themselves have had to reach towards um, so it's more volume and then this also this interest in different varieties um, because you know the United states today grows 60 over 60 different varieties um, and so the interest in varieties and the really fine tuned nuanced, Flavor profiles that have come of that, and it's really decommodified the hop from just uh, more of a an, an everyday alpha hop that you might get somewhere to all of these really intricate, you know, nuanced different flavor profiles that you can get from Citra, Mosaic, Cascade, Centennial. You know, they all contribute something different to the beer, and so <clears throat> it's both uh, it's a transformation of the beer industry that has that has um, really, I think um, changed the market for the hop growers.
0: Well, and, um, I'm going to kind of take a step backwards real quick, cause you said something that it, it just occurred to me that, uh, craft brewing, at least in the U S, uh, to my best knowledge is somewhere in the ballpark of 20% of like overall, uh, beer produced and sold, um, so, some, something like that. But then you just said that hops have, um, hop- Growers have uh, responded to craft beer and has basically doubled. So, but right. but craft but craft beer is not even a quarter uh, or around a quarter of of beer produced. But but hops have doubled. That that what do you make of that?
1: So the reason being, right, that if craft beer uses about five point six times more hops, that's where the number is coming from. Like, I mean, that is that is an extraordinary push. And then also craft beer has, um, has grown worldwide. Uh, we've really, we've put our lens on our export markets. You know, we export to over 60 different countries. Over half the volume of our crop goes ex- exports abroad. And we we're chasing craft beer where we see craft beer light up in a certain market. Right now, Brazil is something that we're really excited about. So we wanna push our exports there because we really believe to see growth in that area.
0: And so when we're looking at craft beer having an impact on the global beer scene and saying, oh well, it's not even a quarter, and and all the all the big brewers still dominate, but you, you kind of have to look at it and as like throwing a pebble in the middle of a of a lake, you see all these ripples moving outward to the the past the primary markets the secondary tertiary, um, and right. seeing how it's affecting hops and barley and um, and distributors and and so. Uh, it's a kind of a fascinating thing just to see that that uh, while craft beer uh, has definitely grown, um, it's not it's not the uh, big guy or gal on campus yet. But it's it's I mean the waves in its wake are just gigantic.
1: Um. Yes, most certainly. I mean, just that <clears throat> ten years ago we were <clears throat> growing mostly alpha varieties. And now we're, yeah. And now we're growing mostly aroma varieties, 80% aroma. I mean, the majority of that is going to craft beer. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, it's remarkable.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's kind of a win-win for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. and so given all that and just this explosion in, in hops, um, w- tell us a little bit about the, the status of hop education. Um, I mean, you went to uh, school for agriculture and communications, but you know, I, are people going to school to get education on hops specifically as as differentiated from um, brewing in general? Um, and, and and kind of a tag-on question to that one is let's talk about, about the breeding programs that are going along with all this education and research.
1: Certainly. I think that for the most part in the land-grant institutions of the Pacific Northwest, there is not a specific degree um, related to the cultivation of hops. However, students can get a crop science degree an agronomy degree, and they can take certain classes and take internships that can help prepare them um, for the hop industry in particular. Um, And so I think for the most part, our land-grant institutions are very supportive of the hop industry because it is a really integral piece to the the framework and the rural economies of the Pacific Northwest. Um, And so we we do have a, a great education foundation from the, those institutions, as well as you know, master students who master students who um, often might get an entomology degree that are looking specifically at hops, or you know, are looking at different um, plant pathology degrees, looking specifically at hops, that then feed into careers and are used within the Pacific Northwest and become professionals. Um, and so, for the most part, I think that that that's still that's still a very solid foundation.
0: Well and and one of the uh, previous guests on the show was a uh, Dr. Thomas Shellhammer. and of course he's He's a professor at Oregon State University and one of the, the world's uh, foremost experts on hops. So anyone who just studies, you know, brewing at, uh, at Oregon State University, uh, I would imagine that if they wanted to specialize in hops, um, even despite there not being a specialty in hops, uh, I would imagine that when you align yourself with someone who really knows what they're doing, that you could really, you could dive even further down that, uh, that little hoppy rabbit hole.
1: Yep, yeah,
0: I agree absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, as far as the breeding programs today, who who all is trying to? I, I just mentioned uh, OSU, I mean, and I know that they've been uh, doing hop breeding since like the '30s. But who else is really leading a charge in uh, breeding new and new and improved, uh, exciting hops today?
1: Certainly. So, um, the USDA Agricultural Research Service works through Oregon state university and Washington state university with a public hop breeding program. They actually just a few weeks ago released a new variety called Vista, that's exciting. You'll have to look up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Say the name one more time. Vista.
0: Vista. Okay. As in like the Spanish word for review.
1: Yes. Excellent. Yep, Yep. And so, yeah, so that's something new, fun. Um, and so, uh, the Prosser Experiment Station just a couple years ago hired an enterprising new um, uh, doctor who is um, leading the charge of the public breeding program at Washington State University. Um, Right now her name is Dr. Kayla Altendorf Um, and so that's very it's very exciting um, to see that program pushing forward. Um, And so the the public breeding program has always brought really um, important varieties to the table. because it is, it's open to all growers in the United States, and then um, there has, of course, been a very elevated interest in proprietary varieties as well. And whether that, whether that's um, Yakima Chief branches or, um, or you know, all, all the merchant companies, Haas, Um and and Hopsteiner, um, ADHA, they all have they all have these breeding programs, and they're striving to develop new varieties that are not only you know, catered towards uh, the interests of brewers and having new exciting flavor profiles, but are also agronomically sound so that producers will be able to um, you know, grow them in a sustainable manner.
0: Mm. Um, and before we get into um, the sustainability environmental impact of hops, uh i kind of want to dive into will will you please talk a little bit about uh, the challenges of growing hops you mentioned earlier that they uh, you they can't they need lots of water they need um uh soil that drains well because you know if it's too moist if it's too humid then they can they can um get all all sorts of things that just kind of destroy them what are some of these challenges and and diseases and stuff that people that growers have to consider
1: certainly and i'm not sure of a scientific reason for it other than um hop it's 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 known hops experience some of the most hops and their cousins uh marijuana and hemp that family experiences some of the most um the highest pest pressures of any crop grown in the pacific northwest oh wow the one thing you can think of is that you know that that beautiful little like cone Full of resin, full of this like really unique resin, is just a magnet for pests. Um, and so the hops are hard to grow. And um, you know, among the first areas to grow hops in the United States was New York. And New York was wiped out by a fungus called powdery mildew, and then kind of finished off with um, downy mildew. And so those those funguses have continued to I mean, we have them on the west coast as well, but since we have a more, since hops are grown in a more arid climate, we're able to keep it at bay. But that is that is among the highest concerns for growers is powdery mildew, downy mildew, and then of course we always have pests such as um, the two spotted spider mite and hop aphids that are very um, that are you know very <laughs> prolific pests in this area. Growers are very attuned to integrated pest management and being able to balance out their systems trying to create an atmosphere that is um, that is more benef- that is more astute for beneficial insects and they release beneficial insects to try to mitigate those pest pressures um, rather than holistically relying on plant protection chemicals um, to, to really strike a balance and um, so those are some of those those, those are some of the um, those are some of the pest pressures And then as we saw this year in June, there was a historic heat wave that hit the Pacific Northwest that really struck the hop when it was at a really vulnerable stage mm-hmm. um, and really toasted the hops, um, but they were able to bounce back after a summer of really careful nurturing. Um, and then smoke remains a really um, a key issue as well. Some of the wildfires that we're seeing in the West um, have the potential to... Um, infringe smoke taint upon the hops themselves mm-hmm. which influences quality to a very high degree um, and so you know there are there are many problems or there are many issues and challenges with growing hops um, and our our producers are very proactive in trying to mitigate these pressures
0: it, it's kind of interesting that um uh, when I lived in Oregon, you know wildfires were a common thing. Um, anytime we had a beer made with uh, local hops that had gone through a fire season uh with you know lots of smoke and everything, it basically every beer turned out to be a Rauch beer and it, and it was it very subtle, but it was it was definitely there um mm-hmm. and so it was it was kind of interesting um. And when I grew hops in my backyard, you could always see these little—I I think they were aphids—and um, someone always told me that you just re- release ladybugs like at at nighttime, and that and then they want to go munching all those critters. What are some of these other ways that um, that hop growers will mitigate some of these uh, like pest issues? I mean, wildfires—there's there's only so much you can do. But as far as the the pests, um, how, sure. how how exactly are they dealing with that? uh when they're trying to avoid pesticides
1: yeah so some producers have decided to uh map the pharaohs of the mating pharaohs the, pa- the seasonal mating pherom patterns of really specific pests which only occur during very specific periods so they know precisely, precisely when to apply a certain chemical so that they're not you know broadcasting it all over um, all summer just doing it routinely they know exactly when that specific insect is, is, in a, is in a vulnerable period of time, and that's when they use it, which is only once, twice, maybe three times a season. Um, and so they're, they're cutting down on the usage of that t- specific chemical. Another area is in trying to nurture an environment that's good for beneficial insects, is planting cover crops, um, instigating natural grasses, something that will not be harvested to any degree, but it's another, um, it's another habitat for these other populations to be able to thrive and to help control those populations.
0: And so are are some of these uh biodynamic practices that that uh, growers are employing?
1: I think that depending on and they're not like they're not necessarily certified biodynamic but just from the principle of bio, being bio, biodynamic itself, yes, I would say that they are.
0: Gotcha. So so when the pests want to set up shop and create homes on the hops, then they'll put these grasses or other plants nearby and say, hey, it's way better down here. Why don't you go hang out down there um, to try and get them to to go somewhere else? It's kind of. Yeah. How...
1: Or it's also nurturing, nurturing a, a habitat for the beneficial predatory insects. Yeah. To be able to survive so them that they can, they can go eat the pests.
0: Perfect. Um one of the other challenges that I'm aware of, um and my memory is failing me. I want to say it was right around two thousand six, something like that. there was a big uh, hop warehouse fire. Um, and and it was some it was something you know it seemed in the grand scheme of things, it seemed uh, not that significant, but like four percent of the of the world's hop supply went away. But when you think about it, um, if you uh, if you need a hundred percent, of of your mortgage paid every month and you're four percent short then then you know uh, you' you're kind of at a loss um, what are what are the challenges or reasons why hops would catch on fire in these warehouses
1: absolutely so you know since hops are only grown in very concentrated areas of the world then um, it goes step in step that they'd also there's be these warehouses that tend to host these these enormous quantities of hops that do conglomerate into these these you know these worldwide percentages. That is very important. And so something that hop farmers do to mitigate the risk of, of hops themselves combusting, just as as many uh, plant based materials do. You know, like hay can combust, so can such as hops. Something that the hop farmers do to help mitigate this risk is that when they kill in the hops in in when they kill the hops at their farm. Um, when they then bale them and send them packaged to um, the merchant in the warehouse, it has to be a very specific um, moisture percentage, has hmm. eight percent to ten percent, and they cannot deviate within that range. Um, that helps keep it at a very particular standard, um, so that it, they're not putting, so that the merchant isn't putting the rest of the hops, um, making them vulnerable to these issues as well. So that those are some ways in which the industry is is working to. To um, mitigate that that huge risk.
0: Is that part of the reason why they put uh, hops in big like 200 pound bales? Because I, I I know um, from my past that you you need oxygen for fire to uh, combust and um, and like straw you mentioned hey so straw bales don't really really like to burn because they're packed really really tight. Uh, is that is that a similar principle with uh, hop bales that they are less likely to burn because they're packed so tight no oxygen can get in there
1: yeah that's true
0: yeah okay um so it ha- has that been helpful to uh, prevent uh hop warehouse fires then by just putting them in bales
1: Certainly. you know it helps i mean it helps and you know things happen every once in a while but by and large for the, the, the for the quantity that is moving through these warehouses for that to happen just every once in a while um is, is a feat and our, our producers and all the merchants are very aware of these standards and of these problems and of these issues. And um, they don't play around. And they're very particular about maintaining those standards of moisture levels.
0: And and it just, I think these are concepts that the average beer drinker doesn't either, uh, they're either not aware of it, or if they are aware of it, they just don't really consider it while they're drinking their, their beer. But I mean, uh, dealing with hops is a challenging, dangerous game uh, at the end of the day. And so it's, I think uh, hopefully uh, anyone listening next time you uh, have a beer, please raise your glass uh, glass to the uh, the hop growers. Um, I, I wanted to kind of finish up uh, before we kind of go into a little closeout question series. Um, let's talk about the environmental impact of hops, the sustainable challenges of growing hops. You, you mentioned water is, is the uh, is probably the first and foremost thing. I mean these are thirsty thirsty plants. We need a lot of water. And if you're in the Northwest uh, in in 2021, there is not a lot of water. So what do we do?
1: Absolutely. So I will say that even though 2021 was a very, had a very an unprecedented heat wave that hit in June. However, all of our mountain ranges in, in the Pacific Northwest, I know California had issues. In the Pacific Northwest, we were fortunate to have ample snowpack uh, to deliver us irrigation. So our producers had a bandwidth to apply irrigation. I will say that most farms have navigated to mapping out their their irrigation, um, um, mapping out the irrigation channels, and the fact that they know precisely where to irrigate um, due to the slope and the um, the soil type, and they know where like what area of the field needs more water, what area needs less, how the water is going to flow. They take that all into consideration while they're precisely using drip irrigation to um apply their water so um among water conserve water conservation has improved leaps and bounds over the last 20 years because of these these precision drip irrigation systems um so our producers are working very hard to conserve water although most certainly hops do require an ample amount of water Our in the yakima valley um we apply about 33 inches of irrigation every year mm.
0: So, uh, for some of these, uh, farmers that are, if, if they conclude that they're just not going to have enough water to sustain the acreage of hops that they have, are, would they just get rid of, uh, hops and plant something else like a, uh, like a winter barley and, and water that during the spring when there's plenty of water or how would they, how would they manage, um, you know, the kind of dealing with those challenges?
1: that's a great question fortunately our our producers have never needed to navigate that um oh, good in oregon idaho um and and washington we've in the in our primary grown areas we've always managed to have enough water just enough water to be able to maintain our plants since hops are a perennial plant um they can grow year after year after year so you need to the plant needs to be sustained over the entire year cycle um and we typically grow we keep them for about 10 to 12 years is, is about the average that we keep one plant um, and so it is a huge detriment and a loss to producer to be able to rip out that to, to rip that out um, and you know at this point I'm not certain what the producer would choose to substitute with it but I, um, because that's never needed to happen before.
0: Oh great then we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, what mm-hmm. are some of the other environmental impact considerations when it comes to hops?
1: I think that, so for the most part, um, and this is really interesting that you're asking about this, in just a few weeks, the Hop Growers of America is releasing a life cycle assessment. Uh, The U.S. industry invested in doing a life cycle assessment, investigating all the environmental impacts of hop production in the United States from field to pelletizing. So right now we're sifting through troves of data, looking at the fuel consumption, energy consumption of the entire season of growing hops. And then looking at our yields and looking at all the, the transportation and fuel costs from pelletizing um, and, and, and storage and looking at, you know, holistic, a holistic, holistic perspective of what is the environmental impact of pot production, because although our producers are making great strides to be more efficient, we don't really have any metrics to measure it. Mm. Um, and in the spring, we're also going to um, working off pieces of the life cycle assessment. We're going to do a, a carbon sequestration study to examine the biological impact of hops to sequester carbon in the soil and then looked at and also examine best practices for hop growers to be able to maximize this effect to really gain a, a, a holistic perspective of hops implications um, on climate change and so i will say that our producers are, are very uh progressive they're looking at these issues they're, they're trying to figure out ways to, to be to be more efficient to be more sustainable and I'm really excited to, to release that data and to help our growers figure out ways to 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 have less of a carbon footprint and so right now I think the the, the top deals that we're looking at also is water conservation it's fuel um, from applying uh, plant protection and and the, the labor of twining and stringing um, and training and also, uh, our farmers kiln the hops on their operation. And so what some producers have started to do is implement very advanced kilning systems that weigh, so as the hops goes in this, this huge entire kiln, spread out flat, um, just you know just hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of pounds of hops in this huge warehouse um, with a kiln. and it, it weighs um, where the hops are on the kiln. So, that the system only delivers as much energy, as much heat as needed to that specific area. Hmm. So, they won't overdry dry them or under dry them. So, um, it's just perfect for that hop so that they're not um, using more fuel than is necessary.
0: And uh, if anyone has, uh, has never seen a hop processing uh, facility, um, I, I urge you to go check it out, or ask if you can go kind of take a tour. I've, I've gotten to see one uh, during the off season um, when it was not in production, and it was just the the infrastructure was mind boggling. And then, of course, I was able to go back and and see it in action, and see just these gigantic fields of hops that are probably at least a foot deep, um, that were on those scales that were on the kilns and, and just very slowly drying. And, and, it was, it was, it was incredible to see. Um, so, uh, I, I'm, that's just my little plug. If you have an opportunity to go check that out, please do that. It, it, it'll, it'll blow your mind. Um, uh, last, uh, kind of question about hops before we close out. Um, what is your take on hop terroir?
1: Oh, that's a really interesting question. I actually grew up in the wine industry. Um, my family has a vineyard in South Central Washington. So I grew up um, really experiencing the idea of, you know, AVAs in wine. So in first coming to the hop industry, I am so interested in the idea of their existing um, a terroir for hops. Anecdotally, we have, we, anecdotally we know that certain brewers tend to navigate to certain areas year after year after year because they find consistency in a in a specific field in a specific lot um, that they turn to time and time again anecdotally we see that there might be some semblance of uh of a potential for something along the lines of a hop terroir if it'll be as profound as grapes for wine remains yet to be seen as you know hops are only you know one part of of the it's only one ingredient that goes into beer while grapes are 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 a lot more profound to the taste of of wine so it remains to be seen but i think that there is great potential and i'm very excited to see the continued research that dr shellhammer is performing because i think that it will be a really great step to empower our producers to be able to segment themselves in a really um in a, a really saturated market
0: and like like you said it was a perfect term anecdotally i've heard a lot of people uh like share stories about brewers prefer like early pickings versus late pickings of the hops mm-hmm. um and you know hops from this particular field uh, are better uh, more consistent and so it, it's one of those things where yes we, we we know it but i mean you know is that our mind playing tricks on us we don't know mm-hmm. um but uh, again, a shameful plug. Uh, but uh, a previous guest, uh, Liz Coleman from Coleman Farms, was a guest, and, and we talked. Um, we talked all about hops and everything. But we, I wrote an article talking about uh, uh, the the research that she that they are doing with uh, Dr. Shellhammer too about um, trying to determine whether there is uh, significant and separately impactful terroir in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. hops and. Um, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to that as well, too. I, I think that'll be something that really uh, comes to light uh, in the next 10 years or so, I would imagine. But um, uh, to wind things down, Maggie, um, uh, I uh, have the uh, divine power to turn you into the queen of the hop and beer world for a day. What what's the first thing you would like to change?
1: Oh, goodness. Oh, I mean, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is eradicate powdery mildew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that'd be so great.
0: <laughs> awesome. Hey, you know, way, way to stay focused. Way to stay focused. <laughs> I have to say, it's like, you know let's just start with that. Um, uh, and just out of curiosity, what, what would be uh, one of the other things that are like big on your uh, personal values list? I mean, besides eradicating some of these diseases, what what else would you change in the hop and beer world?
1: I think that, I mean, so right now, uh, one of the most sizable, influential costs to our producers at this moment moment is labor. And you see that across all industries. But uh, hops are such a labor-intensive crop. Hops need to be, uh, you know, they need to be strung up on that trellis, and they need to be trained. Someone has to go around and be able to um, string the the hop around that piece of twine. Um, and then, you know, they also need to be harvested. These hops, they, they take great care, and it's very labor-intensive. And um, our labor costs have, riv- have risen, you know, exponentially. And so figuring out a way, whether that's through, um, increasing access to, you know, immigration or uh, helping out the labor market in some way, I think, could be an enormous um, boon to our um, American producers at this moment in time.
0: That's an interesting point because I, I by no means, do I intend to get political with a statement, but let's just be honest: um, a lot of Americans don't want to go in the fields and pick stuff like hops. Um, that's just that's just a current reality. So we need to make sure that there are those who uh, will go pick some of these things like hops and strawberries and whatever it may be. Those people who want to do that, we need to make sure that they can go do that because we want our hops, we want our strawberries, and we're not going to take no for an answer. So we need to uh, smooth out that process, it seems to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Um, okay, so the next question is, there is a uh, a, a nascent uh, hop um, uh, not, not culture, uh, hop business forming on uh, the planet Mars. And you are going to be sent, uh, to be the, uh, communication specialist for the, the new, uh, Martian hops. But before you leave, uh, earth, you get, uh, uh, you get to choose your last meals. What, what's going to be your last meal and your last beer or last wine? <laughs>
1: um, I think that, uh, one of one of my coworkers actually um her fiance has a as a craft brewery uh down in Sunnyside. So I think my um last beer with or my last meal would be a nice place of some Yakima Valley tacos with one of their Twine Climber IPAs.
0: Oh nice. Again, thank you for being very, uh, specific on that. Um, so with all of your experience and, and you, you can pull that experience from growing up, uh, with a, uh, family in, in the wine business, but, uh, with all the experience you have now, why do you think good beer matters?
1: So I grew up in the wine industry and something that, that, that was risen that I, that I experienced growing up in that family is that how, how I grew up in the atmosphere of how wine connects people. How when you when you have a drink, it's it's about connecting with others, it's about relaxing, talking to your friends, it's about fellowship. And beer is the same way. Beer is a way to enjoy something, enjoy the the intricate flavors of it, to learn more about it, to to for it to be good, but to also open up the channels for fellowship and friendship and relaxing and you know just enjoying yourself. Um and so I think that's why I think that's why beer matters. And um, yeah, and that's why part of the reason why I'm very excited to work on behalf of this industry.
0: Well, we appreciate that you uh, are working on behalf of the industry. Uh, If anyone listening wants to either connect with you or, more specifically, the Hop Growers of America to learn more, to get this report that's coming out uh, soon, uh, where can they go?
1: We will release it um, on our USA Hops website.
0: Okay. And I will have links to uh, all the uh, highlights that we spoke about in this podcast. I'll have them in my show links. And I'll... um, I have that uh, uh, website down. I'll do my best to put the report in there. Uh, Lastly, do you have any calls to action or any uh, words of wisdom for anyone listening?
1: Um, Let's see. I think that we can just close this out with saying drink more hops
0: drink more hops i love it thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and sharing with us the the basics the ins and outs of the hop world and just kind of giving us a better holistic view of of what it is uh that all of you are doing uh, particularly up in the northwest um uh yeah thank you for the work you do and, and for sharing everything
1: absolutely thanks for including hop growers of america in this conversation jeremy
0: oh it's my honor If malt is the foundation of beer flavor, then hops are the spice of beer life. However, hops are neither simple nor easy to come by. Understanding what happens between plow and pint will help us appreciate the impact hops have on our beer and our world. In the next episode, we travel south to get the story of New Zealand hops and what you really need to know about the Kiwis. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.